Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner. Good to have you with us here on The Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more. WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Uh, and we are going to tackle what the news from last week, in a sense, of what happened in Chicago uh, with the kidnapping of the disabled young man uh, by four young Chicagoans uh, and his kind of beating and torture uh, by them. Uh, but what that means in a larger sense. Before we get to that, though, I, I have to make an announcement. We're going to introduce our guests and jump right into the subject. Um, today is Monday the 9th, and in two days, on the 11th of this month, we will have the 14th Annual Annapolis Summit taking place at the Governor Calvert House in Annapolis on the opening day of the state legislative session. Um, and uh, we want you all to join us there to be part of that conversation. And later in the program, I'll tell you more about that so you can join us um, and uh, how to get in touch with folks uh, because the some papers uh, put it in that uh, it was one of the 10 most important things to do this week was to go to the Annapolis Summit. So we want you to join us down there. We'll tell you more about that in just a moment. Um, right now, we are going to tackle the subject I said. And, you know, there's many ways to look at what happened here. Um, there's clearly, as in most everything in America, a racial and racist component inside of this. When you have Richard Spencer, the alt-right leader, uh, saying that this isn't the first incident of terrorism against whites by anti-Trump Black Lives Matter supporters in Chicago. Uh, remember Black BLM kidnapping every time some journalist lies about my white advocacy organization and calls it a hate group. Uh, uh, and so that's one aspect of looking at it. I've seen other people write about we should be talking about the fact that uh, a number of white kids were arrested for doing something similar to a young black man. Nothing ever happened to them. Um, but then I wrote back to them when they wrote that to me saying uh, it, all those things are real. But there's some very deeper issues here that we need to wrestle with, which is what's happening to our young people being so inured to violence uh, and who block out violence and don't. Uh, intervene in violence when they see it, but rather videotape it and laugh about it. And also the question of developmentally, disab developmentally disabled people in our country who are often the targets of these kind of abuse in our country. What does all that mean? Well, we are joined by four people to wrestle with that. Dr. Kimberly Moffat has remained with us, Associate Professor of American Studies at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, co-editor of Blackberries and Red Bones, Critical Articulations of Black Hair Body Politics in Africana Communities, uh, and uh, author um, also of, uh, of uh, uh, Obama 2.0, a, a, a book she edited and put together a conference about. Dr. Natasha Pratt-Harris is with us, Associate Professor of, uh, and Criminal Justice Program Coordinator in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology here at Morgan State University. Dee Watkins, columnist for, is it columnist? You have another title. Editor-at-Large. That's what I thought. Editor-at-Large. <laughs> I thought it wasn't right. Editor-at-Large for Salonga.com. Professor of Creative Writing at the University of Baltimore. Founder of the Be More Writers Project. Author of Cook Up, a Crack Rock Memoir. And uh, and uh, who joins us here. And Coley Tingela, President of Tingela Entertainment. Instructor and creator of Positive Change Performing Arts Program at Augusta Fell Savage Institute for Visual Arts High School. Uh, and a former Open Society Institute fellow, and of course, uh, Emerging Media's satirical commentator who comes here every Friday. Uh, and good to have the four of you with us. Oh, thank you, thank you, you, Mark. Thank, thank you. You all can join us here at 410-319-8888. You can write to us here by email to talk at steinershow.org. Uh, you can tweet us at Mark Steiner. Uh, but to do join us at 410-319-8888. And one of the things I said was this is a, there's so many aspects of this we can talk about. But one of the things that got me thinking about how to produce this today was our conversation last Friday, Coley, uh, last Thursday, I guess it was, yes. when you came in to tape your commentary uh, at our studios. And you you're, were, were, were deeply troubled as a teacher about the kind of what you saw in your own students when you were reflecting on what happened in Chicago. Not that they were beating up people and, mm -hmm. and, and torturing them and, and hiding them away, but kidnapping people. But, but talk a bit about that. Um, what I share with you, Mark, and I would love to share with your listeners and my my wonderful um, colleagues right here was I'm I'm very much concerned and greatly disturbed not only with our young people but it's so prevalent and it's so overt among young people but even even with us as adults with incivility lack of compassion lack of empathy and lack of appreciation of a living breathing human being as something that is precious and, and vital and <coughs> sacred and that there are limits to how a human being's body 
um, human beings, emotional, psychological being should be addressed and cared for. And I'll give you a prime example. Um, with my positive social change theater program that I work with my children, we try to tackle issues of compassion and empathy. And one of the, th I gave a situation which is very prevalent, is intervening in violence. A lot of times uh, our young babies do not want to overtly intervene, do not want to be perceived as a snitch or a rat. So if they saw something going on, they claimed they would not intervene. I said, well, would you use your cell phone, go around the corner where no one could see you and call the police and say you saw someone being violated or beaten? A lot of them said no. A lot of them said to me, Mr. Tengay, that's how you get messed up. That's how you're going to get beat up if you intervene like that. Well, no one even see you. Well, I'm not going to be a snitch or a rat. And then I gave them the answer, what if your mother or someone you loved and cared for, your father, your uncle, your sister, your brother, came home and said, I was attacked and assaulted, and the only thing people did was pull out their cell phones and videotaped it. No one tried to help me. No one tried to call the police. How would you feel? Then they were livid. They were outraged. They said, well, I'll look at that tape. They don't post up on YouTube or Facebook or something. I'm going to track them all down. And be, oh, oh, all of a sudden, you're going to be the urban MacGyver, the urban CSI. You're going to track down those people on that tape. Nobody knows who MacGyver is. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a new one. Uh, yeah, they, they, they rebooted them. <laughs> They rebooted MacGyver, <laughs> and um, you're going to um, go out there and find those people on that tape that assaulted your family member, which is the only individual, which is the only reason why you felt any form of compassion for them. So, and that, that concerned me deeply. So, Natasha, let me bring you in here while you're, cause I, you're on the phone. I want to make sure you get in here now. Yes, no problem. Go ahead. Uh, so my initial response is based upon my own humanity and uh, my area of expertise, uh, being a sociologist, the first thing that comes to mind is this concept of presentism. Um, we actually respond to our young people based upon our lens and the current state or our perspective at the moment. One of the things that we talk about consistently um, when we talk about all these social issues is that, um, you know, we have moments of amnesia. Um, and those moments of amnesia lend us to not be able to really make sense of what we're seeing. Um, violence among young people or people in general is not a new concept. Um, the horrible uh, behavior related to acts of violence in terms of how people respond is not a brand new thing. Um, when he was talking, I was thinking about my own childhood and some of the things I witnessed, some of the experiences of victimization, some of the moments of perpetrating uh, certain behaviors that mimic our children today. And the way I see us kind of addressing this is to talk honestly about our own experiences or documenting those things or acknowledging those things that have been documented related to violence across our humanity. Um, I mean, I, I, I totally understand an urgent need for us to address this issue because with social media, we have um, information being shared, videos being, you know, uh, forwarded, and it's like it appears to be a monopoly, um, uh, or a domino effect, I'm sorry. But in all actuality, our children, and I want us to understand where I'm coming from, are no different than I was as a child, my parents were as children, my grandparents are, were as children. It's just that it's on a... Uh, it's live in a living color, and we're able to see it more quickly and more um, consistently and more persistently than we've had in, you know, recent past. So that's something I want to make sure we understand. Presentism means we actually look at things from our present state, um, and we sometimes forget, uh, you know, the realities of what violence is or has been throughout our history. Young people will engage uh, you know, violently, and they are, they are you know, to age out of this type of behavior. Um, and that's when it becomes very problematic, when people don't age out of behavior. Now, when I say young people, I'm not talking about all young people, and I'm not talking about all the extremities relative to violence, but I am saying that it is a, it's a part of what's happening in humanity. Not to kind of forgive the behavior of our children today, or not be, uh, be less um, punitive in our response, or direct in our response, but to say, wait a minute, what is it about this group um, that lends itself to this behavior, and how are they similar to who we were uh, as we were coming up? And I can't help but just make that 
honest kind of statement about, you know, even how we engage in the classroom and how we try to understand what their perspectives are or why they engage the way they engage. So, so Mark, I want to concur. I want to concur with the point that has been raised. Um, and oftentimes, we hear the adage, "There's nothing new under the sun," um, and I would agree with that. Oftentimes, but I do think social media has added a. a an element to our childhood or the experience of childhood in America in ways that was not um, seen visibly in few in past generations. And I say that largely because what we have done with social media, while I think it to be a good tool for communicating, I also have a lot of issues associated with social media. And one of those is it has created this instantaneous celebrity culture that everyone wants to be a part of. And by virtue of that, what we tend to do is make certain moves or take certain actions that we then believe will make us viral or go viral in some way, which then means we're not even thinking about what might be some of the consequences or repercussions of those actions. We find ourselves sitting in that bubble only focused on the idea or the notion of I, too, can be a celebrity. And I think that is very different than the generation of the past. So, oh, go ahead, Dean. I'll, I'll wait. Let me come back, colleague. Dean? I think, um, you know, I agree with pretty much everything that was said so far, but I think the worst thing we can do is act like this group of young people or our current group of young people um, in society today invented violence. Right. Like, they didn't invent violence. Um, yes, it, it is on the Internet now. It's visible. You can download it. You can share it. You can mark it up. You can edit little funny skits into it. But they didn't invent violence. They're products of what we have given them. Violence isn't a black thing or a white thing. Violence is American. It's the most violent country with the biggest military ever. So all of these kids are just products of um, of what we've given them. Um you know, it's the same thing if you think about, you know, I, I'm never going to make it as a boxer. I'll never be able to be paid as a boxer, but I can go viral and get some clicks on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Instant celebrity <laughs> access, like I'm in a game now. Um, right. You know, and, 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 and all of these other different, I mean, football is violent. Like, you know, people get their fingers stepped on and cracked in between Hockey. plays. Hockey is violent. <laughs> Sports, this is a violent country, a violent culture, and this this isn't this isn't something new. But hopefully, we can um, we can collectively start to critique some of the bigger industries and institutions and some of the bigger things that cause these issues, so that we can start to talk about a real problem. Because right now, um, the media is demonizing these kids, and then the people on the right are so stupid. The woman she connected to Tommy Loren, Loren, Tommy, Tammy, whatever, whoever, whoever the new the new hot hottest uh <laughs> when i say hot i don't mean attractive i mean hot like popular so the newest popular left wing right right wing media chick is she compared to trayvon martin well these kids were captured within 24 hours and charged with a hate crime it took the nation to protest to get george zimmerman to be charged and he became a superstar he had ten thousand dollar hotel nights in dennis yeah. and he still won so it's like how can you be so stupid and then you give these idiots a platform and you see what happens so, you were going to say something, before I jump in? Yeah. Um, I simply want to say I hear all of you very well and, and relate somewhat, but I just want to share this. Not saying I know that violence, particularly in this country that was born out of violence, is nothing new. What I am extremely concerned about, and I did acts of violence as a young person born and raised in Lower Park Heights. I've gotten many a scrap. But what I even shared with my students was that when I was scrapping in middle school and high school in the late 70s, 80s, and early 90s, there were rules to throwing down in the street. I explained them how a, a knuck or a fight would go down. And, they, and I told them there was no jumping in. That everybody understood no kicking in the head, no stomping. If a person curled up in the ball or said, I give, it was over. And I had to shake the hands, as they, as they say, the fluke or the clown I was fighting with. And then we just walk our ways. There was no. Well, people did get banked. Yeah. No, <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you. No. No. Listen, listen. Banked. No, no. Banking. Yeah, but banking. Listen, I don't know uh-huh. about maybe market in, in your black, white, Jewish neighborhood, but banking in my neighborhood was frowned upon. 
Now, getting mm-hmm. snuck, if you got snuck, that was something. It was upon, but it happened. It was, yeah, it happened. <laughs> it happened, but not, not on many an occasion. Not when I organized, when people took called up, people, there was a big circle. And that's how that's how I did. My students laughed at me when I told them there was rules to street fighting. They laughed at me. They said, Mr. Tingela, you go for what you know. Brick, bat, scars, nails. I have young ladies who have who come who have come to school with tasers, razor blades, um, to do serious physical damage to a person. Um, well, what was said in social media. So I do agree there's nothing new to violence, but I do believe that the lack of sanctity for the human body itself, Evolution. particularly African black bodies, is much more extreme S- and that we should look at seriously. So let, let, me, let me push this point a little bit further, and you can jump right in here, uh, 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 Dee. But, um, so I agree that violence is nothing new. Violence is as old as humankind. And many cultures have been extremely violent, especially towards their enemies, no matter what culture that was. Or well, American um, as citizens. <laughs> when, but, but I mean, even beyond America, right. America is a, can be a, is a very violent nation. We have right. the largest armed forces, no question about that. We've perpetrated violence across the globe. I'm not, that's true, and it, and it pervades, and that sense of pervasive nature through society. But societies have been violent before the United States of America ever existed. Right. And people have been violent against their enemies since the beginning of, of, of humankind, uh, from everything I know and read on my travels. But anyway, I'm saying that to say, is there something happening now? And let me be very blunt about this. I mean, when you talk to kids who go to city schools, and you teach those kids every day, um, and you're not that far removed in terms of time from being in the street yourself, D, um, that what we have done as a society, to isolate inner city kids from the rest of the world mm-hmm. and isolate kids in terms of what they see outside of their small neighborhood, uh, are we not in part having not inculcated this violence I'm saying I think takes place? And that's not that's far different than saying black kids are violent. It's saying when you talk to kids in our city schools, they all go not all go, but many will say, I am scared. I'm scared trying to get to school. I'm scared of the police. I'm also scared of the guys in the corner. I'm scared of what happens in my school. I don't want to get into beef. I don't want to get hurt. Now, I don't know about y'all, but there were fights in my school growing up, and I've fought growing up, um, as many people who knew me. I mean, you know, that was just part of my nature back in the day. But there's something very different now. I mean, I wasn't frightened to go to school. And the junior high school I went to was regarded as a very tough school in Baltimore State when I was there. But I wasn't scared every day I walked through the door. Something is different about what we've done to our kids now and how they perceive the line. Mm-hmm. And what do we do about that? We don't jail our children. We shouldn't. I'm not talking about institutionalizing our kids and jailing them and putting them away and all that kind of stuff. No. But I'm saying there's something. Go ahead, Natasha. You're trying to say something. Let you know. Yes. I, I would agree that there's something different about what we've done to our children in so much as the sensationalism of violence lends itself to the possibility of our children making comments that they are afraid um, and or given a platform to say they are afraid because now people are paying attention in a way they may not have paid attention when I was in school. Having the same experiences, walking back and forth to school with some concerns, um, you know, knowing that there was someone who may very well want to bank you and actually being involved in a banking situation, um, it's, it's, it's something about how we, we, we've sensationalized everything. It's like, and everything because of social media is, is heightened and there's a certain sense of awareness and paranoia that comes with that. Um, and without, you know, lessening the reality of there is such a thing as a culture of violence. Um, and I actually would think the whole notion of the culture of violence is not as isolated as it had been if you look at historical text on even the development of that theory or concept, because there's this, this, there's this language that we're using from the president-elect on down, um, where, you know, right. violence is, like, cool. And the culture, the, the, culture, the, the culture that we're currently living in, because of social media, inspired that. So we have this heightened sense of something. But in all, in, in, in my reality is that I know in the 1990s, um, the violence among young people was at its peak. 
Um, this is documented via the Department of uh, or the Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention. Um, it's documented that it had been um, kind of uh, stagnant um, and dropped after the mid-90s. At, even at this present time, we're not currently seeing in a consistent way the numbers that we saw in the 90s. But again, we are talking about it. We, are, we have sensationalized it. And we, are, we have some t- kids who are parents, but at the same time, I have the experience of engaging with young people today who will say, I'm not scared, but they're not, they're, not, they're not going to tell me their total story. And even myself, growing up in the city, I'm, I'm tough. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not afraid. I'll, I'll, I'll get to school. I can go to the store. I'm okay. So there's this other thing, you know, it's a whole other discussion about how we even camouflage some of those fears. But, again, I think we've done something to our children. Yeah, a lot Maybe. of this. A lot of this violence is a lot of this violence is fueled by capitalism. Um, I was born in the eighties, and I remember that shift. I remember the turn um, when the guy who was selling frozen cups, or the guy who was just sitting on the porch all day long, actually started actually transformed into the kid who was making thousands of dollars. <laughs> and the fight for that, you know, some you know this this magical drug, this transformation from. People selling powder cocaine and people selling crack invented all of these brand new kingpins. And with these brand new kingpins came all types of crazy guns and and things like that. And even though that industry has changed and it doesn't really exist anymore, that culture of violence stuck around and it's there. Um, That further dehumanization is still there. And we was talking about like um, the difference between when Coley was growing up and like when I was growing up is – Evolution, these things evolve, like these things change. Capitalism pushes everything forward. So, yeah, you know, at one point it was honorable to own a company in this country and create jobs and have a union and pay benefits. But, you know, it evolves into now it's com- now people are, are, are as one guy who Trump uh, who Trump picked up is proud of robots. Oh, they don't call out and they can work overnight and they never need a vacation. You know what I'm saying? So it's like all of these all of these evil things are just fueled by capitalism. Like it plays a major role in pushing these and pushing these things in a negative direction. So uh, oh. Oh, go ahead, Colin. We have two minutes for the break. Yeah, I, d- I just want to say I agree to on a certain extent about capitalism because one thing that capitalism forces the parents of the um of our children to do is not be physically present because of poor transportation, where jobs are located, parents who are working um, have to leave earlier in the morning, leaving siblings to attend to Mm -hmm. their other children, getting their siblings to school and then getting to school late and having to deal with the repercussions of that. That also um, affects it. And I guess I might be um, a part of what's called the complex trauma um, generation of folks since every day like after I leave this one, you leave your wonderful program, Mark, and you wonderful people. I've got two more classes with high school babies that I'm going to have to deal with their acting out of pain behavior mm-hmm. towards me, mm-hmm. towards themselves, um, to get them to appreciate what I'm trying to share with them. And that's every day. So maybe because I'm there in it, it seems much more exacerbated. I don't have the... Um, scholarly data um, to buttress the lacking of hyper-aggressive, hyper-sexual, hyper-violent behavior, but I see it on a daily basis with the young people that I work with. And that truly concerns me. And I see between Dylan Ruth, the white young man um, who murdered black people in a church, and these babies in Chicago, these African beautiful black babies in Chicago, I see them equally as traumatized, but I don't see a conversation engaging in how we as a society can do what is right by people and Mm -hmm. seeing what caused this behavior instead of penalizing it, analyzing it to solve it, to prevent it from happening. So we have to take a short break, and I'll let you come right back, Kimberly. We're going to go to the phones as well. Uh, We're telling Dwayne and Keith we're going to come to your calls, but I do want to pick up when we come back on where Coley left off, which is, so what... We, you know, I think it's an important discussion for this city to have and our communities to have now. New school administration, new mayor. What should be our response to this? Mm. And how do we put our arms around our children so we can combat this in ways we can inside of our school system and other places and not just leave it to the streets? We'll be right back. Stay with us. 410-319-8888. Dwayne and Keith, the first two callers up. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner, and we are looking at what happened in Chicago, but not in the same way that I think many other places are looking at it with the kidnapping of the young man who is developmentally disabled. 
um, and beaten and tortured for several days, um, or for several hours, I should say. Um, and uh, But looking at it in terms of what is happening to our children and what do we do about it, uh, we are here with Dr. Natasha Pratt-Harris. Natasha Pratt-Harris is Associate Professor of Criminal Justice uh, and Criminal Justice Program Coordinator in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology here at Morgan State University. Dee Watkins is Editor-at-Large for the Salon.com. Uh, Colleen Tangale is president of Tangale Entertainment and teaches uh, performing arts uh, at the Augusta Fell Savage Institute for Visual Arts High School. Dr. Kimberly Moffat, associate professor of American Studies at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And for this program, I think it's important to say, uh, co-founder of of a charter school here in Baltimore for young men in middle school, mm-hmm. um, the Baltimore Collegiate Academy. Yes. So, uh, and you all are 410-319-8888. But, uh, and, and we're going to come to all the calls coming in, so bear with me, Duane, you're the, next, the first caller up. But but let's talk about what it is we do. I mean, what is it that we can do in the powers that we have inside of our own schools to uh, and, and to push for policy that allows us to do things that put our arms around the children to blunt what happens out there to help our children grow without this internalized violence that they already have? Yeah, and, and Coley and I were talking <clears throat> off um, air, and one of the points that he raised was this whole notion of getting buy-in from um, faculty, staff members in schools for the different ways or alternatives of how we can uh, how we can address issues of violence in our schools. And one of the things that I think we struggle with, first and foremost, is many of us have bought into the notion that black folks and violence is just a part of our pathology. Right. It's our makeup. A lot of people believe that. Yes. Lots of yes. That. And and lots of people that sitting around, I mean, that right. look like me feel that same way. And so if you're already looking at people who you are connected to in terms of your racial category and you buy into that, then it becomes very easy to accept some of the actions that resource officers are taking against our children and say, yeah, well, they deserved it. They, they misbehaved. They took a particular action and they had to react to it. And so if we're buying into the notion that black folks are pathologically um, um, prone to violence, then it's hard to be able to see what are the other routes we need to take in order to address issues of violence because we have then bought into well that's their nature they're going to behave that way so now we need to criminalize the behavior to put it in check and instead what needs to be happening in our schools are things such as what Coley has already talked about in terms of restorative justice but I also think there needs to be a greater commitment to again another term that um, many have already raised today about trauma and what that looks like and how we address trauma that has happens within our children. So instead of simply, again, reacting to, there needs to be a team of mental health professionals in our buildings, always present and able to assist our young people with whatever the issues are that they're bringing into the classroom. Instead of believing that because my budget can only afford for that social worker or that school psychologist to show up on Wednesdays every week, and so all the breakdowns need to happen on Wednesday or we can't deal with it, there has to be a commitment to in this school district, particularly in this school district, to saying that these are individuals or roles in our schools that are so very important that we have to do without something else in order to address this concern for our children. Because to believe that we are going to continue working with traumatized black bodies sitting in classrooms and somehow they're going to excel against all of those odds is absolutely asinine. And we've got to take a shift. So, uh, Natasha, I can hear you want to say something before we hit the phones here. Please do. And basically, you keep talking about, uh, from, from my vantage point, comparative criminology, just kind of comparing behaviors across race, gender, um, various cultures, jurisdictions, and the like. And when you do comparisons, um, and again, comparative criminology doesn't, doesn't need to be a high-end, um, highly academic process. It's something we already do when you look at um, young people across the board and see what they're doing that's similar. For example, earlier the discussion was on the rules of street violence. Um, and how there were rules in the 70s and 80s, but there are rules today. We just have to acknowledge that there are rules that are different from the rules of the 70s and 80s, and how does that shape what ultimately happens? 
So again, I totally agree with what you're saying. So let me let me get the perspective before we open the phones. I'm come right to the phones. So I really want to hear the two of you chime in because a call you with it every day. And I'm going to ask about the new so. rules when I get back to class because <laughs> <laughs> they told me there were none. There is, you, know what, you know, you know what, you know what it is. It's that, it's that we when we were when we were young people, we were getting in fights. Well, I'm, I'm putting out my put my story out there, but when we were fighting or engaging violently. We didn't know there were rules. When we became adults, we began to assess and say, hey, there were actually rules. Young people are not necessarily thinking, hey, there are rules to violence. You know, I, I just, I, we have to have the conversation later, but yes. <laughs> okay, yeah, we, we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think now we also have the, the, the knowledge and, um, and, and the language to explain how um, these black children are being dehumanized on multiple levels, dehumanized by society, dehumanized mm-hmm. by other races, and dehumanized by each other to the point where you even subscribe to that culture of dehumanization, mm-hmm. which is like a bigger animal. So it's easy to rip somebody limb from limb when you think they're worthless and you're worthless too. I mm-hmm. spoke at, um, I was at, um, at Renaissance Academy. I had a great visit at Renaissance Academy this year. It was Dr. Rose set something up with some students, and it was it was amazing. It was great. It was transformative. Right. But when I, the first time I went there, which was last year, one of the guys who was sitting on the panel with me said, um, he said, uh, you know, he's happy to be able to come there and talk to the students and, and give back. And, you know, he's proud of his life, and he wants to share. And one of the students told him, you're nothing, and I know you're nothing because you're here talking to us. So he thinks that since he's nothing, that anyone who would want to come and show love is nothing as well. And we, we're also combating that mentality, too, on top of the fact of um, a lot of different people who control media. You know, Mark Steiner's a gem. It's not it's no Mark. It's not a lot of Mark Steiner's out there. It's, it's a lot of Fox News types. A lot of even people who fake like they liberals, they out there and they they also they subscribe to the same culture of dehumanization. And the bigger the bigger issue is that they don't even know. So but what seems like very quickly here, very quickly, I mean, it seems that that what you were saying, Kimberly, about the need for people who are counselors and others inside the schools or people who can be part of schools like safe streets or others to kind of continue counseling kids within the schools are critically important as a component for our children's success. But so is, so is added to that is the therapeutic power of the arts mm. that Coley has done mm. or if you've done D mm. and bringing writing uh-huh. into the classroom mm-hmm. and reading into the classroom uh-huh. doing those in creative that allows these discussions to take place that, that's a huge piece of healing for kids to understand like when Dante Wilson works with his kids after school what he always did in the rec centers was he brought them all in before anything else started he had a mind dump session he brought out the ice cream people shared ice cream and they told the stories of their day, and each kid helped the other kid figure out how they would have dealt with the problems they faced without resorting to screaming at a teacher or violence. What else could we have done? You know, I mean, th- those things, we've we got to make the people understand. we got to make the people who run this place understand, Coley, how critically important that is for the success and sa- salvation of our children. That, that is um, wholeheartedly true. And one of the things is to work with our babies and, e- and even those within our own families. How, ma- how many of you out there listening, uh, thus sitting here, have a young person that you have in your family that you are g- genetically or spiritually connected to that you haven't had a real conversation, like maybe perhaps what happened in Chicago with them and building those relationships? There was one young lady, a beautiful, intelligent young lady, um, who was um, outwardly, openly gay in a masculine persona. She and I used to go to war with her language outside the hall, profanity, knocking up my room, coming in late and everything else, cursing me out, telling me I, I like to have sex with my mama and everything else. <laughs> oh, oh, constantly. Until one day, she came into my room, and she said to me, after two months of this, I saw in the hall, I thought I had to get up. She didn't, wasn't cursed. She poked her head in the room and said, oh, hold up, Mr. Tengela, can we talk? I mean, like, real, real talk. Are you crazy? There's something wrong with you. Because every time I do something, you're always trying to check me, come for me. And I said, because I believe you're intelligent and talented and brilliant, but your negative behavior gets in the way. I see you with a bright future ahead of you. I'm getting older. I want you to replace me and be sure that brilliant, talented black folk are going to be there to look out for my interests. And she said to me, oh, that's why you're always getting on me? And since then... We've had a truce and mutual respect with one another where she's respectful of the boundaries of my classroom and outside of my classroom and now. But that wouldn't have happened if not on a daily basis I had to interact with her. So let me also get into the phone. Get the phone. I promise the listeners we get back to them. And, and on Facebook, uh, William Bart wrote in, I'm not surprised that inner-city black kids are racist against whites at all. 
The fact he was disabled made him an easy target and speaks volumes about their character, obviously. It's a sickening situation and definitely a hate crime on every level, but trying to BLM into it is BS. Uh, and Josh, well, we, should, we can talk, talk about that <laughs> a bit, what he said, the complexity of what he said there. Uh, and, and, and Josh Mobley wrote in, uh, the fact that this even has to be sa- said speaks volumes. So we'll come back to those comments, but let's go to the phones at 410-319-8888. Dwayne, you're on the air. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I have a, a, a conceptual question for the panel. Uh, but what have we done as a society to not deserve the type of things that we that that we saw in Chicago? What have we done as a society to to not have that happen? Of course, we're going to have that kind of stuff happen. I'm surprised it happened to happen sooner. Of course, inner city kids feel like uh, you know they're discriminated against you know uh, by whites. That's the kind of society that we have. You know, tons of money has been thrown at the problem, and and one of the biggest you know issues that we're always trying to do is oh. Let's have the school just adopt all these kids and raise them all. Schools can't do it. They've been trying for 40 years, and they're still failing. They can't do it. The responsibility has to be placed on the adults that bring them into the world. But, of course, we have the type of society, or excuse me, the type of things that, the negative things that we're seeing. Because look at the society that we have. We have a president who lied his way all the way to the White House and is praised for it. Of course we have this type of society. Dwayne, good to hear from you. But having said that, if the parents can't do it, someone's got to do it. Someone has to step in. You can't just leave it where it can't happen. And we have to take responsibility as a society. And I agree with you. Um, society is wholeheartedly responsible. Well, when is we? When are we as society going to truly decide we want our culture and society to be higher and better and address the issues that cause such aberrant behavior among our young people and adults as well. When are we going to take responsibility and study it and address it to see the similarities of what I said between Dylan Ruth murdering African black people in the church to these young people, African black people kidnapping a mentally challenged young white man and torturing and degrading him as part of the same issue within American culture and society and addressing it because we know it's wrong and we want things to get better. Hurt people hurt people. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. And unless you are addressing the hurt of those hurt people, they will continue to hurt people. And so we've got to create a shift in terms of how we are dealing with these types of issues instead of always criminalizing them and making them. I mean, think about some of the recent decisions that are are being talked about in, in Missouri, where now it's going to be a federal, it's going to be a felony if you are engaged in a fight in a public school. What does that suggest? That's already, again, criminalizing um, bodies, in particular black bodies, to say we are going to set you aside and villainize you because you have participated in something that is very much a part of childhood. Right. So many have experienced it. So it's a part of our upbringing or our growing up and becoming adults. But now what we're going to do is criminalize it to a point that there are significant consequences to your future and that trajectory of your success by saying we're going to do something about it now. So can I say really quick. OK, yeah, so I do want to get these call, bank of callers here so they can, you can respond to them. But very quickly. I just want to say that the kid didn't die. I'm pretty sure Michael Brown or Trayvon Martin or any of these other victims would have traded to be on video for a half an hour and get a lock of, my, of their hair cut off, but be here today. But what does that mean? I mean, the kid didn't die. Like, at least he's alive. Like, I feel like this I feel like this story was overreported. No one talked about, like, none of these major out. The way this story was covered on round the clock on all these different news agencies, nobody was talking about Dylan Roof stepping in front of that judge and saying, I'm proud of what I've done. It totally took away from what the story should have been about that day, well, and it was a big waste of time. Now, I don't watch a lot of news, but I do listen to public radio. Um, And I do, I do. I mean, so, and I do look at the news through the net. I mean, people have been commenting on Roof a lot every day about what he said at his trial. So, and and what I would say to you, though, is the comments about Roof are about the individual 
person who happens to be a white male. Okay. So it is not about white society. It is not about <laughs> right. white people who are um, racist against another group of people. And so he gets to stand alone and to be an aberration of uh, aberration of something and not as a part of an entire group of people. These four young now, I'm people. I'm mad at Tom Brady over Dylan Roof. I'm mad at Tom Brady. These four people have become <laughs> have become um, <laughs> reflective of an entire race of people because we all are as a, those of African descent we all are prone to that level of violence so towards the, whites. I'm going to come right back to Natasha but let me get to the phone as I promised and, and, and get a couple calls this week and get all these thoughts out here. 410-319-8888 William you're on the air. Man this is just such a great conversation. This is actually my first time you know listening to the show and calling in. Yeah. So from what I'm hearing today, I got to keep on listening every day. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> shout out to all the panelists. Um, Mr. Tangala, I heard um, the sister, just everybody. I just want to say a, a quick few things. Um, this is a, a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Treat a man as he is, and he will remain as he is. Treat a man as he could be, and he will become what he should be. I think that we have to put everybody where they are. We have to completely meet everybody where they are. Kids are kids. They need to be kids. Yes, there's rules to everything in life. It's an order to everything. But I think we have to get back to the fundamentals. We've lost a lot of fundamentals. When I was growing up, I'm 28. I'm not that old, but I was, I'm old enough to have been beat with the switch, and I'm old enough to have used the iPhone. So, you know, where I'm at in life is that, you know, we have to have parents be parents and not stop trying to be friends with their children. Everything starts at home. But everybody needs to work together and be on the same page, speaking the same message. When people are speaking different messages, that's where things get dropped and lost and nobody's held accountable. Um, with, I'm, I'm from Park Heights, um, West Baltimore. Um, <clears throat> and what, what saved me, what helped me was after school program. Um, with, you know, being able to go and release my energy um, somewhere in a positive outlet, in a positive manner. Older people taking an interest in me seeing something in me and pushing me to be great. Um, just, a, just a few more seconds. I, at a, I, when I moved back to Rome Park, I was 10 years old, 9, 10 years old, I had an opportunity to sell drugs. But I went to older people, my stepfather, my mom's boyfriend, whoever, and I asked, is this what I should be doing? And they clearly told me no. So, you know, and, 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 I, and it guided me in the right direction. So we have to have adults and elders and older people guiding their family members, their grandkids, the teachers, police. Everybody has to guide young people in a positive direction, but you also have to listen to young people and give them an opportunity to express themselves, to see where they're at and how you can help them. Everybody doesn't learn it the same way, so you have to be skilled enough as any kind of professional to teach people in different ways. Uh, I appreciate the call a lot, William. I'm glad you're listening. and I'm going to try real hard to get here to Keisha and David next up, but Natasha, let me let you jump in. A couple of things. Um, the caller prior to him talked about what have we done. So uh, Watkins and other guests mentioned um, some of the things I wanted to say, which is we have criminalized victims, and I'm talking about um, Mike Brown, I'm talking about Trayvon Martin, um, I'm talking about men and women in Baltimore City who are arrested once they are shot, uh, maybe shot due to street violence, who are put in handcuffs. So when you criminalize victims, there's no doubt about it that you're going to criminalize an actual perpetrator of violence. Um, that's what we have done. That's why you have the responses that you have, because we have actually said that Everybody is a criminal. Even the victims are criminals. Um, the other piece is that, again, the caller who just spoke, just spoke to exactly what I was saying. He's, I guess he said early 20s. His experience yeah, 28. isn't... 28, okay. He's yeah. a few, about a second or so <laughs> younger than I am. <laughs> but he actually speaks to this whole reality that the experiences aren't that different. The experiences aren't that different. Um, and we can actually compare who we are generationally, and see that there are a lot of similarities. Um, and uh, the last point I wanted to make um, is that uh, we actually talk a game, a good game as a community, about the need to have the village model. We talk about it, we harp about it, and at the same time, and I hate to use absolute statements, I don't want to do that because I know everyone's not like this, but at the same time, we'll say, well, if I talk to so-and-so's kid about their behavior, you know, they're going to get mad at me and we're going to have an argument. Or if I discipline my kid in the public, then this is the response from the community. No. And in all actuality, if you actually talk to somebody else's kid, 
usually there is some type of response that lends itself to something we actually want, which is a caring member of the community who's engaging with that young person because they needed to be engaged, right? Or if your own kid, you know, or if a kid you're taking care of is actually misbehaving in public, usually the response from the public is, they may be a little standoffish, but you're taking care of your kid, and it's okay. I challenge people to dare, you know, the people to, you know, uh, to, you know, shun them for doing the right thing. Disciplining children in a healthy way or engaging someone else's kid that's not yours in a healthy way is actually okay. Don't be afraid of it. We actually need the village. The village is an absolute necessity. In so, fact, because we've attempted to work outside of the village model uh, or and or accepted this idea that the village is a problem when we do engage, that's partly how we failed each other and our children. So the question is, for me, Keisha, we're going to come to your call here. We have like seven minutes left in the segment, which is, and I think maybe the follow-up to this is, how do we become the light in the midst of all this? What do we push for and insist on so the light takes over? And maybe that sounds trite, but I don't mean it to sound trite. I mean, I don't believe that, I deeply believe that from all the work I did years back with kids in the 70s and 80s when I was doing it, which is where one of the panelists and I met, Many, many years back, um, that that uh, when you were one of my students, that we can do this. People can be saved and brought in to lead lives, but it does take the village, which means it takes investment on our part mm-hmm. and a different strategy in the city as opposed to just allowing it to go on like it is. I think we have to dare to start the trust walk of connecting to one another as human beings. And as this, um, the sister was saying, who's not physically present in the studio with us, begin to actually Just to find talk to said one what, another. Right? Yeah, <laughs> to begin to actually talk to one another and not to be afraid of people of color who look like and resemble you and understand that the only thing that's wrong with us as a people is that we believe there's something wrong with us as a people. (laughs) And once we get rid of that notion there's something wrong with us, you should be able to talk to young people. I've had um, folk my age get concerned about me stopping at gas stations and getting engaged in conversation with young folk because what happened? I said, well, you, one brother's a minister. You're a minister. You got God on your side. I'm over there (laughs) talking black love. And Kwanzaa, you know, you should go over there and talk to him, man. I ain't got the backup. I ain't got the backup you got. But I'm saying us talking to one another and saying out of love and respect, you know, what's up? What's going on with you? Instead of like berating, you know, we focus too much on pulling up your pants instead of like pulling up your mentality and your spirit and finding out why you hurt so much. So. It's so true. It, it, I mean, again, it comes back to the trauma, that we're not dealing with the trauma. And, I mean, we've had this conversation before on your air where, you know, we talk about this whole notion of resiliency and we put a lot or we invest a lot into that as a concept, but we forget that children still need to be cared for. And we can't just focus on, oh, but they're resilient. They can experience certain things and still um, prevail. Yeah, that's true. But there's other work that has to be done. And part of that work has to be um, what happens with the villagers. Um, When I think about myself, you know, my children can't stand when they see me walk the halls of their school. (laughs) You know, they're like, why do you walk through here like you're the principal of the school? And I was like, because my investment is in this building and I'm going to be a part of what takes place for my children and anybody that touches them. So it's not just about my children, because if I'm only focused on them, then all of the force the external forces that might impose upon them can still happen. So I need to be a presence in the classroom where I am speaking to all of the babies and telling them that I see you, I get you, and I am here for you, but I'll also check you. But it's also exactly. it's also it's also very tough to have mama be in the hallways <laughs> when you're a student. Oh, mama's here. So, yeah. <laughs> To the listeners, I think that too, I think too many of us recognize these problems and we don't do anything about it. You don't have to s- s- jump off 
your porch and try to save the universe. Um, I've worked with six different kids. Three of them are headed to college. It's not that simple. It's accessibility and the power of just just being able to answer the call or respond to that text or give them twenty dollars or something when they got to get you know to the end of the week. It's very very simple. It's not that difficult. Stop thinking changing the whole entire world is the most effective way, and just work with a couple of people, and you you will make a difference. And if you teach those people to do the same thing that you did for them, then the world will get better. So let's get a final thought. Keisha, you're on the air. We have like less than a minute, so give us your final thought from from you. Okay, I just wanted to really agree with a little bit of everything that everyone said, and primarily when the sister spoke that hurt people hurt people, and that is very true. Um, But we have to stop being so forgivable as a society and just be realistic and um, Caucasians have hurt us for years, and they're continuing to hurt us. And no matter how much strides we make, no matter how positive we are, we're still looked at as this negative human species. Mm-hmm. And um, I take the Dylan Ruth and then the, um, the, the African-American kids who, you know, tortured this little boy or whatever, and that did get a lot of media attention. And I blame the media because... We're looked at as monsters, and it's just so disheartening because at the same time we had a guy who was in college who raped another, um, you know, college mate and shoved a hanger, and nobody talked about any of this stuff. So... Well, Keith, I'm sorry, we're, 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 just out of, we're up against the clock. I, I apologize. I appreciate your call. I appreciate the panelists who came here today. Dr. Kimberly Moffat, Dr. Nata- Natasha Pratt-Harris, Dee Watkins, Colin Tingela. Thank the four of you so much for being thank here you. Today. Thank, no, you. thank you. No, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Thank you all. And on the way out of here, I want to remind you folks, it's time to come to the 14th Annual Annapolis Summit. The Sun Papers wrote today uh, in, in yesterday's morning's paper that it is one of the 10 events of the week you do not want to miss, and you don't want to miss it. Wednesday, January 11th, in two days, the 14th Annual Annapolis Summit, your chance to talk with the governor, the Senate, the Senate President Mike Miller, House Speaker Michael Bush with your questions. Let them answer your thoughts and questions. You can get tickets by calling Haley Polling at 443-524-8161. That's 443-524-8161. Or emailing hpolling, H-P-O-L-I-N-G, at thedailyrecord.com. The Annapolis Summit is sponsored by The Daily Record, Stevenson University, Hopkins Center for a Livable Future, Maryland State Education Association, Alexander and Cleaver, VPC, and WEAA. The Mark Steiner Show is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our senior producer is Mark Henry. Our producer is Amani Spence. Our research producer is Calvin Perry. Our production assistant is Nadia Ramlagan. Our engineer is Andrea Melton. Theme music by Wal Matthews of Clean Cuts. Send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org, to podcast the Steiner Show, and share it with your friends. Visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, I'm Mark Steiner. Stay warm. It'll get warmer later in the week. Take care. We'll talk tomorrow.